Sarah West is an environmental art therapist based in Nelson, British Columbia. She blends art therapy practice with land-based healing in a unique way to serve her clients and groups. She even uses art and nature as a way of supporting organizations and governments to plan and make decisions about sustainability and land use. She believes strongly in the role nature can play as a co-facilitator in the therapeutic process. Before her career in art therapy, Sarah worked for more than 10 years doing policy and strategic planning on environmental issues between First Nations and government in Ontario. In our conversation, we explore her unique process of guiding clients as they listen to the land, how she created a practice in the midst of a pandemic, and why nature is such a crucial tool for holding collective grief. This is Art Therapy IRL, In Real Life a show about the new reality of art therapy. I'm your host, Amelia Hutchison. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, Amelia. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with some transparency because it's going to become really obvious really fast in this conversation that you and I are not strangers. We know each other really well. Uh, In fact, you're one of my closest friends. I love you a lot. And we're both in the same graduating class from the Kootenai Art Therapy Institute. Yes. Love you right back at you, Amelia. (laughs) Full disclosure. (laughs) And since we're talking today a lot about the healing capacity of nature, I thought that a way we could start was by giving our listeners a better sense of our locations. So maybe we could take a few moments for both of us to share a little about the land we're on and even perhaps what we can see out the windows while we're in this conversation. Sure. That sounds great. Um, So I live on the side of a mountain. I live surrounded by really large cedars and yew trees and cottonwoods and you name it. There's every tree around here. Right now the sky is gray the clouds are hugging the mountains and out my window I can see the remnants of my garden from the summer and um, and just a lot of green and right outside my window there are cougar prints and bear prints (laughs) wow (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Sarah and I are both in the Kootenai region of British Columbia. You're in Nelson, BC, a town of about 10,000 people. I'm in Slocan, which is about an hour away from Nelson in the Slocan Valley. Uh, Right now, I am sitting in a cozy home at the very bottom of Slocan Lake. Outside my window in the valley, I can see the last bit of yellow on some larch trees, some cedar trees. Uh, And it is snowing here. No cougar prints, luckily, in my yard right now. Sounds gorgeous. So I like to ask my guests at the beginning of our conversations a little bit about how and when art became important to them. So what is the origin story of your creative practice, Sarah? You know, I've always been a creative human. Ever since I was a kid, I've always been crafting and creating and having big projects, even when I was a kid, like large ongoing projects where I would either be painting or making clothes or yeah. And I carried that through into high school where art was very prominent in my teenage years. 
and really honed that, honed that skill when I was a teenager. Once I finished university, art completely vanished from my life for almost 10 years, which is crazy and also reflective of me stepping into a, a pretty demanding career path and art just vanished. And then it magically appeared again uh, about 10 years after that. And, and it's been at present ever since. I, it's hard to go uh, for any length of time without creating now, whether I'm outside or inside painting or collaging or using watercolor and ink. It's a pretty constant practice in my life now at this point. And yeah, really became aware of the healing power of art um, in the last several years. And of course, amplified when I began my art therapy training. So you say that art vanished from your life. Uh, what do you remember about that time of your life when, when art wasn't something that you were using to express yourself or explore your experience? It was when I had first moved away from home and was living uh, in a completely different city. School, university was really demanding. And then I was launched into a very, very practical uh, career where I was working out of cubicles and not very connected to uh, the land or creativity. And um, my friend group also wasn't, uh, was very non-creative. So that's what was happening for me in those 10 years where art really wasn't a strong part in my life. And you say that you kind of magically came back to art practice. Can you say a little bit about what it was that brought you back to using creative tools? It was a last minute birthday present. <laughs> um, my friend, it was her birthday and I had completely forgotten to buy her anything. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll draw her a card. What came out on this card was, was this really implicit memory of like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to be creative. And this skill set has been lying dormant, dormant in me for quite a while. And I made a pretty powerful uh, piece and a pretty powerful image. And that just launched me right back in. And I couldn't stop drawing and then painting and then sculpting after that. Wow. Yeah. I think this is something that comes up a lot, as you and I both know, in the art therapy studio when we have clients who maybe haven't been in touch with themselves creatively since they were children. It's not that they're discovering that they're artists, it's that they're remembering something that they used to feel feel connected to when they were smaller. Yeah. And there is definitely that sense of, oh, hello again. <laughs> like, hi. Yeah, not a, it, it wasn't really a discovery. It was a, a remembering like, oh, my hands know how to do this. My soul knows how to draw out this creative piece. And, and it was interesting too, because at that point in time, I was really studying the art of my ancestors from Scotland and Ireland. And what came out uh, was a style very similar to to what my ancestors had been drawing for centuries. So that was that was a really interesting thing to see that just automatically came out. I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe there's some ancestral memory there too. Mm, powerful. Mm -hmm. So between this experience of making the card and remembering that that you are a creative person, how did you end up in art therapy school? the universe conspired against me, I think. <laughs> um, I had no idea that art therapy existed. It was not on my radar at all. Art was just a tool that I had in my daily life that was a really wonderful resource for me. But I, um, 
uh, I had decided to go on, we'll say an ancestral journey, um, and took, uh, six months to walk the lands of my ancestors in Scotland, Ireland, England, and Wales. And I just walked, like I just walked and walked and walked and my walking and where I went was I decided to organize that around three things, plant, plants and story and art. And so the first part of my walk, I was learning a bit about herbalism. I had taken some mythology courses and by the end of the walk, I was like, oh, I, like, I haven't really filled this art piece yet. Like maybe, maybe I'll, I'll find some retreat or some, some kind of a, a class that I can amplify my creative experience here on this walk. I did some research and found um, in Finhorn in Scotland that there is a creative retreat happening um, led by an environmental arts therapist. And I was like, what the heck is that? What? what is environmental art therapy? Who is this woman who's leading this? And I was really intrigued by her story. So I walked up to Northern Scotland and took this uh, week-long retreat where first introduced to art therapy and it blew my mind. I had an utterly transformative experience. Her name is Beverly Accord, who was the woman who introduced me to art therapy. After that, I was like, well, this is it. Like, I just had this sense of, I need to, I need to learn this. I need to be as involved in art therapy as possible because I could really sense the transformative power of it. So I asked Beverly uh, if she could be my mentor, if she could lead me through some more art therapy practices. And she's like, well, you know, I've got a room in my house that you can rent out for the next little while. And like, I can wow. show you the ropes. And so then I had an entire like month after that, uh, immersed in environmental art therapy, working with the land and creativity. After, after that, had a really strong sense that this was something I needed to pursue in my life. And it took about a year after that experience to find a place that felt right to train in, uh, in the modality that I'd like to train in, which is very earth-centered and open and flexible and incorporated myth and had a really holistic way of, of practicing. And then I discovered there was uh, a program in Nelson across, across the country in Canada that um, taught in that way. And here I am in the mountains. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that the world just opened up for you and you got this full immersion, getting to move into her house. What an amazing experience. Yeah, it was really, it was incredible. And it was one of those things where, you know, when you're, you feel like you're on the right, right path when everything just opens up and, and things become easy. Like, here you go. Here's another door opened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The call was so clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to step back and talk a little bit about this modality you're speaking of. You and I are both art therapists, but you are also more specifically an environmental art therapist. What exactly is that? It's a specialization of art therapy. It's essentially working with the land or natural concepts in a creative practice. So you often take art therapy outside. In this taking art therapy outside, there's this added component of um, you're literally working with the land. You're working with natural materials that you find 
around you and uh, you're noticing what's happening in the landscape around you as well. Uh, one of the core, core ideas of environmental art therapy is that the land acts as your, as your co-facilitator and supports the therapeutic process and amplifies the process as well. So it's very alive, it's very active and interactive process uh, working therapeutically outside on the land. And when, of course, it's not always possible to be able to get outside, um, especially like we've seen now, where folks are often needing to stay inside during, during this pandemic, environmental art therapy is also working with as you can with the land inside or with natural concepts. Yeah, looking at what, what kind of animals or plants might be coming to you um, to support you or yeah, what your creative process might be showing you with the resources that you, the land has to offer. And even I think something I've seen you do in your own practice is just like down to the materials that you choose is informed by what's around you in the land and making sure that clients have access to things that are, you know, literally from the earth around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very accessible practice and you can literally just step outside your front door and work with anything, whether it's snow or twigs or pine needles or soil like the world is your oyster with environmental art therapy. You don't need any art skills. <laughs> Full disclosure for all art therapy, no art skills required. And yeah, the materials are just, they're free. They're accessible. They're right, they're right at our doorstep. And they're, they're, I always just see them as gifts from the land offered um, in your creative practice. Well, I think it's, it's such an important conversation to have, especially right at this moment in both of our careers and in, in this moment in history about practicing outside, you know, so much of this podcast is about how art therapists have had to shift and adapt their work to the physical distancing requirements of COVID. And for every other person I've hosted on the show, that's meant going online. You know, and for me, the question becomes, how do we hold the integrity of art therapy when we can't actually be in the studio with a client or how do we preserve that connective power of sharing space and using materials together when there's a computer screen. And because I think working online has become my new normal, I forget that there's this other and maybe more obvious option, which is just to go outside with our clients. Yeah, exactly that. And what I've been hearing other art therapists talk about and is, yeah, how do we shift our practices when Originally, we do work with clients one-on-one -on -one in studios, and you do see a lot of art therapists transitioning online. And there's also the option of let's work outside. Of course, there's a lot of different parameters that are involved and considerations that are involved when you do work therapeutically outside. So it's not just as simple as like, let's step outside and make some art. There's, there's a lot of other parameters that are involved uh, that the therapist needs to have in mind when working with with people, with folks outside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what might a usual session look like between you and a client outside? It's, uh, you know, it's funny. There's quite a, a natural rhythm uh, that comes out and emerges when you work outside with the land with folks. And I often, I start with a mindfulness activity. So we'll begin with uh, tapping into all of our senses and we'll, you know, what are you smelling right now? What are you, can you taste the air? Can you taste the snow coming in the air? Like, what are you hearing? 
what do you feel on your skin? Like, can you feel the earth beneath your feet? And once we, we take that moment, that pause to really ground into our senses, this is our first mode of contact and ability to connect with the earth once we really pay attention to our senses and not just what we see. And I, I involve walking. That's a core component of when I work with people. So once we do a mindfulness exercise, we go for a walk and we go for a, a walk that's not led by anything. It's just whatever you're drawn to, um, wherever you're, whether it's a, a lap around the building or uh, a lap around your backyard, or if it's walking this, you know, a more formal path. And there's, there's a lot of science behind the power of walking and how it, it really starts to get people into a flow and, and create space in our consciousness to, to receive things um, and to be more perceptive of what's around us and listening and get us into that mode of receptivity. And uh, once, we, once we do that, it's inevitably someone finds a location that they feel comfortable to created and they're like oh I really like this area I really like this spot right here and often you don't know why I'm like, okay well let's let's go and then we, we create uh, together whether it's together or I'm watching and just holding space and yeah and then we engage in in a classic like art therapy experience where we take a step back and we look at what's been created and listen to whatever creation might be be saying to us and explore that. At the same time, I'm also keeping my eye out for any kind of synchronicities or happenings that might be going on during the session. Are there any animals that are showing up? Has the weather shifted? And drawing that to the client's attention. And oftentimes this will really amplify the process in some way. You know, certain animals can have really significant meanings for folks and it can show up at just the right time, like say it say a client's asking for clearer sight, clearer vision, and an eagle like pops out over the trees. And that, that happens all the time. And it's kind of the magic of working outside. The final um, component is being in a state of gratitude and reciprocation and that we're not just taking from the land or taking from this experience or what can I get from this experience? There's also a like, you know what? this was great. Like, thank you. Like I, I learned a lot. I saw something, I learned something today. Thank you to whatever, whomever showed up in the process. So that's mm. typically what a, a, a session can generally, generally look like. And it can be spontaneous creation or depending on um, what kind of support someone needs, I can also offer a specific suggestion for a creation that someone could work with as well. You know, I think what's so interesting and so unique about environmental art therapy um, compared to art therapy, as opposed to it being the clients, the therapist, and then the artwork, you have this, this other participant in the process. And I know you spoke a little bit before about how nature is not, is not the passive backdrop. It's actually something that gets engaged in the process. Can you say a little bit more about the role of nature in, in co-facilitating? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you know, we've learned as art therapists that there's this kind of triangular relationship between 
client and the art and the therapist. And this is something that Shivarian talks about quite a bit. And when you work outside and when you work in connection with the land, this, this triangular relationship is then, I envision it as encompassed or held by the land itself. And that um, there, is, there is a degree of, of holding uh, space that the land offers when you work outside or intentionally with natural concepts. When the facilitator or the art therapist is really connected with the land that they're working on and or uh, knows the land that they're connected with um, and working therapeutically on, uh, there's this sense of trust that happens where like, you know what, I know, I know these trees, I know how how to move in this space, I can anticipate the animals that might show up. And there's just this sense of knowing, almost like a friend, like when you're working with a human co-facilitator, you're like, yep, you know, Amelia's going to pull out this card soon, or like, yep, that's how she is. And like, and the exact same thing happens with the land when you're working therapeutically with it outside, and you're in touch with the land, and you know the land that you're working on. And there's a, for me as an environmental arts therapist, I just trust the land as my co-facilitator when I'm outside. Like I know it's going to be, it's going to be okay. And I know that it's going to be whatever is going to show up will help and support whatever therapeutic process is unfolding with, um, with a client. Mm. So yeah, there's a strong sense of trust and support and co-facilitation that can emerge when you trust and know the land that you're working on. There's been a few times where I've worked on the land therapeutically that I wasn't completely familiar with. And it was like working with someone I didn't know. So you're just kind of, oh, like something guess, like, uh, yeah, just this uncertainty of what's going to happen and a general state of, oh, there's literally right now, there's two deer right outside my window and they're they're doing their like deer neck hugs where they like they hug each other with their their necks and they're just giving each other a little bath oh oh that's perfect so this is actually a perfect example Mm -hmm. when i talk about synchronicities um and noticing the synchronicities that that arise in a therapeutic process or when you're tapped into the land like these two deers are clearly friends and they're clearly comfortable enjoying each other's company and that's how I feel with you Amelia you know there's that sense of companionship and just comfort there so it's almost like the deer act as a mirror Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I know I've been in sessions with you where there's been thunder or lightning in the middle of something happening or a certain bird shows up and something that I think you're wonderful at doing is just tracking that and reflecting back to the client or the group what's Mm. happening around them as they're having their own experience. Yeah. And it's really, it can be really very powerful. Like, you know, I've even, I've had the deer show up quite a bit uh, in the last little while and they have a degree of personal significance for me right now in some, in some areas in my life. So looking at the deer, I'm like, yep, the deer are here, the deer are here, like little support, little supports and friends. And, um, and when you can amplify this and, and reflect it back to a client, it can be, it can be really powerful as well. And it's just Mm -hmm. that, that added oomph. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me think that you and I, and people, people in this region that we're in are really lucky 
to grow up and to get to live and work in a part of the world where communing with the land is really encouraged. But I'm curious, because not everybody has access to nature like this, nature deficit disorder is a real and serious thing. thing. How would you go about working with someone who has trouble with the idea of listening to the land, whether they feel like the land isn't something that speaks or that they're just, they're disconnected from the land? Mm -hmm. And that's a really, that's a really great question. And it's something that I've, that is really close to my heart because, you know, I think as, as humans, there's this inherent knowing of us being able to connect to the land and um, we've forgotten it. And we have this state of disconnect from the land culturally and societally. And there is an inherent knowing and remembering that can happen in connecting with the land. So yeah, I just, as part of my, my background, like I haven't always lived amongst deer and the cedar trees. There was a long part of my life where I lived in downtown Toronto. I took the subway and I was surrounded by concrete. I worked in, um, I worked in a high rise on the 12th floor and very disconnected from the land, but there's always an in. There's always some element of, of an in, whether it's a bird that flies overhead between between the skyscrapers or the for me I had a red-tailed hawk that nested in the building across from my office. And I really got to know that hawk because it was the only life form that I could see for a really long time, many years actually. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to be respectful of where people are at. You know, some people aren't in that place where there's that connection or even desire. And really, I, I want um, where people are at in their connection with the land. If they don't want to, they don't want to. And I'm, it's never something that can be forced. But I do find that people who are drawn to work in an environmental art therapy way have, even if they are in a state of disconnect or not sure how to connect with the land, there's a niggling. There's, it's almost like there's this like internal tiny niggling of like, but that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> like that sounds kind of cool. Maybe I could, I could try it. I've worked with people who've flat out said at the beginning of a session, you're like, yeah, I have no connection to the land. I never have. I kind of wish that I could, but not really. And we'll just try this out and see how it goes. And I'll work with them with where, where they're at, but maybe we'll do it outside. Often by the end of a session, folks have shifted perspective where there's been a glimpse of an awareness of like oh this is this is possible okay it's possible for me to connect with the land in some way Mm -hmm. and stepping into that place of possibility is such an incredible gift to give someone it's like that moment when someone realizes oh maybe art is a way i can express myself like oh maybe maybe the land has something to offer me is a life-changing revelation Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this whole concept of like listening to the land, like it sounds, you know, it sounds really woo woo, right? It's kind of, it's kind of funny, but there's just so many different ways that you can listen. Like what is listening for everyone? It's a really, it's a different process and it's a listening happens in um, unique and different ways. And working as an environmental art therapist, it's kind of helping and supporting um, someone in hearing in the way that they're able to or wanting to. Well, and I think this brings us to 
the way that you have vision for your work that extends beyond just working with clients. I'm curious, what role do you see art and environmental therapy playing with larger corporations or governments? Yeah, so this is also where my heart has been for quite a while. Before I came to study uh, art therapy a little bit later in life, and in my previous life, I worked for 10 years as a strategic uh, analyst and a policy person in um, various senior capacities working for First Nations and for provincial governments, always on environmental issues and how we consult on environmental issues. And I worked with, with a lot of big environmental projects that I noticed, you know, when consultations were happening on these, these projects, um, you know, what do we do with the land? What do we do to the land? You know, we have some, we have some business sector interests. We have some governmental interests. The First Nations, of course, have a strong invested interest in what happens to the land. But often the land itself was never engaged or interacted with when these really big decisions were happening, like where, what does this forest management plan look like? Or should we put a dam here? Or should we put a, a pulp and paper mill here? Or this water is really contaminated. Like how do we clean it up? And the land was never included in any of these discussions. And so once I, once I stumbled upon environmental art therapy in Scotland, I saw that it could be a really powerful piece to bring forward in consultations. And it's interesting in that like a therapist is pretty much a neutral party, right? Like a therapist is not supposed to bring their own agenda to the table with clients. And a lot of this environmental work that we see today is so laden with a lot of hurt from many different sources. It's longstanding hurts and woundings and traumas that we're dealing with. Also very different worldviews coming to the table about how do we work with the land? What do we do to the land? I do see environmental art therapy as a neutral way of bringing people together on the land with very diverse worldviews to do some bridging, to do some teamwork building, and to set their own agendas aside, work creatively on the land with the land to get some insight into what the heck we do. What the heck are we going to do on this big project where there's often a lot of conflict involved in these, these discussions. So yeah, I'm really excited about the possibility of that. I explored this possibility in my thesis when uh, I was setting up at Kootenai Art Therapy Institute and piloted the project uh, or piloted the idea with a local city administration developing a climate change plan and you know it was really well received and really impactful for the people involved in creating the plan so i think there's a heck of a lot of potential to use environmental art therapy methods not just working with individuals but also in a, a governmental organizational or corporate focus as well Mm. I just I love the image of of people from all different groups in you know in their business suits coming and actually touching the soil and using different materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in and in a very intentional way, um, and and in a very safe way. Like as therapists, we talk a lot about how to create safe space. It's drilled in into us for every single 
element of how we construct a session and how can we do this as safely as possible for the people involved and that same that same efforting to create a safe space can be done in consultations with people who are in conflict um, with each other or possibly in conflict with each other on environmental issues well i'm so happy that you're at the forefront of bringing these models of mediation into the world as we talk about what happens to the land that we actually stand on now, something else that I know you recently did was uh, a workshop for the Canadian Art Therapy Association conference called Finding Community in Nature in Times of Grief. And this is kind of a more general question, but why do you think it's so important, especially at this moment of such great collective grief and suffering and trauma that we go outside? Um, yeah, great question. This concept of finding community in nature is something that's also really close to my close to my heart and that right now as we collectively on the whole across the world are experiencing a pandemic where we're not encouraged to go and have a Christmas dinner with our family and we're not encouraged to go hug our friends and do these things that we're used to doing we have been experiencing collectively humanity has collectively been experiencing a loss of our previous ways of being and it's bringing up a lot of grief there's been so much loss in so many different ways during this pandemic and it impacts people in in different ways and at different levels and we don't have that same access to our human community you know, grief is always held in community, always, always, always. And any sort of grief ritual or experience or expression of grief, it needs to be held in community. Right now, when we don't have that access to our human community, I think it's so important that we can turn towards our community that we can find in nature. And, you know, we might not be able to go hug our mom <laughs> and have a good cry, we go outside. And we can find we can find community uh, amongst all of our our other than human beings that are around us, and find find community and support. You know, and it's I always joke like, okay, guys, let's go, <laughs> let's just go outside and hug a tree and have a good cry. Like that's that's kind of what it comes down to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we joke, but that's what you and I did at the beginning of the pandemic when it felt like the rug had been pulled out from, from underneath us. I remember not being able to, to get together with you and be in our classroom, but going out and cross-country skiing and sitting on the beach two meters apart was the way we started to connect. And then mm -hmm. I know for each of us, beginning all of our own new rituals of how to take care of ourselves when our different kinds of social support were drastically changing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the land can just provide that extra added bit of support that it's like, oh, I feel seen. I feel heard. Great. Engaging with the land, like in a way that you would, you would another human, like mm. tell them what's going, tell the land what's going on. What's bugging you right now? What are you upset about? There's a sense of like being heard. So along that same line, I think I'm curious, just as like an experiential, if one of our listeners say right now was wanting to go outside and do something to feel a little bit better and they had 30 minutes what could they do in 30 minutes outdoors to 
to feel better? Yeah, that's a great, a great question. Part of working, working with the land or working through environmental art therapy is paying attention to the seasons and, and working alongside the seasons. We're coming into winter. It's the beginning of December. We're coming up, um, coming up to the solstice and it is a dark time. And it, it is a time of going inward and reflecting and nurturing and getting, getting quiet. So I would say embrace that, that long dark that we're going into. Don't fight it. Like embrace it and go in with that sense of acceptance of like, you know what? This is going to be, we're going into the dark times. And this happens every year. This happens every year. It is amplified by a, um, a pandemic. As a self-care practice uh, at this time, yeah, step outside if you're able to, and and if you're not, if not, you can do the same thing indoors as well. But begin with a mindfulness practice and just a short uh, tuning into all of your senses. What are you smelling? What are you hearing? What can you taste? And what can you feel on your skin? And how do your your feet feel on the ground? And, and move and then begin to walk, whether it's around your living room or uh, whether it's, it's circling the block and just begin to move and follow whatever it is that you're, you're drawn to. And as you're moving, as you're walking, what are you noticing? Like what's coming up? Is there a color you're paying attention to? Is there an animal? Um, is there a certain tree? Uh, is there a feeling that's, that's coming up in you? And just without agenda or without any judgment, just acknowledge what might be coming up or what might be attracting your attention and then work with it um, in whatever way feels comfortable. You could uh, journal about it. You could paint it. You could draw it. You could, you know, uh, Amelia, I know you love your, your color red and your magenta. So maybe it could be like smearing an entire piece of paper and magenta or whatever you feel called to create. Mm -hmm. Give a little thanks afterwards. And that's a really fairly accessible way to just engage in some self-care. It is such a beautiful practice. And you know, I laugh when you talk about the magenta because that did come from your workshop. I remember participating at the very beginning of the pandemic when you know, personally I was feeling really hopeless. And you know, I did a walk around my neighborhood in the middle of this digital workshop that you held. And that was the thing that came out for me was all of these bright purple flowers. And I kind of came home into my space and realized that was a color I'd been surrounding myself with. And then for the next few hard months of the beginning of the pandemic, that color kind of stuck with me and it became kind of a metaphor uh, for resilience for me. Um, mm -hmm. And I know for different people, it could be different things. Maybe it's an animal or a certain kind of plant or any kind of phenomenon that happens in nature. But for yeah. me, it was just so powerful to connect the idea of resilience to a color and then to bring that into my life and watch it show up in so many different ways. Yeah. And Amelia, I think that like really speaks to this doesn't need to be complicated. It can be as simple mm -hmm. as like this color mm -hmm. and like the connection to whatever the heck that color means uh, flows. It doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be a big elaborate painting. It doesn't, you don't need any skills to kind of come into this. And for me, like what's coming up for me when I'm engaging in this practice, it's as simple. I've been drawing myself in circles. I've been drawing a circle around myself, whether I'm on the beach 
or in the snow, or I've been drawing like circles in the margins of my notebooks. It doesn't need to be a big elaborate thing. And there's this sense of like, what is the circle for me right now? And I think I'm coming to an understanding of it's a, it's, I'm in a place of holding and of being still, of being in the circle. Mm. Yeah. So it can be as simple as finding the color magenta or drawing, drawing a circle in your, in your notebooks. Yeah. You know, and I'm so happy you say that about the simplicity. I think oftentimes we might fear that nature is for people who have lots of leisure time or perhaps lots of affluence to have leisure time for people who are able-bodied in a certain way, or for people who have knowledge already of what plants and animals are around them. And the way you talk about these kinds of processes makes it feel so much more accessible to just everyone. Nature really is for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to like give some context for me too, like I am not outside frolicking through the forest all the time. <laughs> like I've spent the last couple months working a lot on my computer inside, developing a plan for uh, my business. And I don't have a lot of leisure time. I haven't. And what I've done is in the, like the small bits of time that I have available, I'll like run outside for half an hour draw my circle in the sand and then run back and keep writing, keep, yeah, keep at it. You don't need to be frolicking around for hours and hours through the forest to, to tap into this wisdom or, or this sense of, of knowing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to end our conversation on. But before we go, my last question is in the here and now in 2020, what is giving you hope? Hmm. That is a great question. I think what's giving me hope is that people are, people are finding new ways of being gentle with themselves and they're finding new ways of taking care of themselves. Mm. And this, this global pandemic is demanding this of us. It is in our faces all the time. Um, being in this global pandemic is really asking us to really tune in to how we take care of ourselves. Everyone's doing it in a different way. And everyone is answering that call of like, okay, this is how I'm going to take care of myself today. That gives me hope. Uh, mm -hmm. People are actively exploring that and coming into that awareness for themselves. It just makes me grin hearing you say that. And like you've said throughout this conversation, it can be small. It can take five minutes. It can just be noticing the color or the smells around you. It's, it's really for everybody. So thank you so much, Sarah. If people want to work with you, want to know more about the kinds of workshops or therapy you offer, where can they find you online? Yeah. Um, so I offer um, individual sessions and group sessions, and uh, I work with people uh, in person and online. And I'll link those in the show notes as well. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm feeling really grateful for this conversation and all your insights and all the work you're doing. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Art Therapy IRL is a capstone project in support of graduation requirements for the Kootenai Art Therapy Institute. You can find links to Sarah's work and social media in the program notes. Special and heartfelt thanks to Monica Carpendale. Millie Cumming, Nicole Libyan, Lisa Heisler, 
and studio space and technical support have been generously provided by the Knott family. Theme music was mixed by Mina Hebert and project supervision by Nicole Libian. This podcast is written and recorded on traditional unceded territory. My deepest gratitude to all ancestors and keepers of this land. <laughs>